as you've gathered already, we're beginning a new summer series entitled Walking with Jesus Through First John. And we do this pretty much every summer. We pick a book of the Bible that we want to dig into more deeply, uh, as well as to try to embrace the rhythm of regular Bible reading you heard Sarah talk about before. Maybe that's something deeply familiar to you or something you've kind of wondered about or aspired to. Our hope is either way this would trigger you uh, to take that next step, uh, commit to at least reading through 1 John, uh, as well as uh, a, an ongoing commitment to engaging God's Word. First uh, John uh, is written by the beloved disciple uh, who was one of Jesus' earliest uh, followers. And uh, to get started, as we explore a letter that he wrote to the church, I thought it would be helpful uh, to begin with um, a sort of trivia game, right? Uh, it's summer, so we can relax a little bit, start with a little game. And I want to see how well do you know St. John, okay? So we're going to have a series of questions, and I'm going to expect audience participation, right? This should be lively, all right? So, uh, and we're going to see how well you know uh, one of Jesus' disciples. So here we go. Before they met Jesus, in what trade were John and his brother James employed? Was it A, farmers, B, bakers, or C, fishermen? Just go ahead and shout out. What do you think? You seem pretty convinced. Uh, and I started with an easy one. Yes. <laughs> they were fishermen, James and John, Peter and Andrew, some of Jesus' first disciples. And you may remember when Jesus called them to follow him, he says, come and I will make you fishers of men. Okay? Let's see how well you do with our next question. As soon as they started to follow Jesus, James and John went to the city. Was it A, Nazareth, B, Capernaum, or C, Safed? A little less convinced. <laughs> the correct answer, somebody just shouted out, is in fact B, Capernaum. Nazareth is important. That's where Jesus was born and raised. Uh, Safed, interestingly, is a city you can visit today. And actually, while we're on the topic, you should come visit uh, all three of those cities with Pastor Randy and I and Sarah and our friend Rabbi Chad next summer. Uh, we're going to lead a tour through the Holy Land. We're actually going to visit Nazareth. We're going to visit Capernaum and Safed, which is a location for an artist colony today, as well as a center for Jewish mysticism. Very interesting. We'll explore uh, that aspect of the Jewish faith. I felt, why not have a shameless plug for a trip that we're super excited about and we all want you to come along with. So, uh, back to our game. While Jesus played in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John, A, grew tired and fell asleep, B, got hungry and ate a snack, or C, were attacked by a honey badger? <laughs> a, I had to give you another easy one after a little tricky one, right? The correct answer is A, they grew tired and they fell asleep while Jesus was praying. Uh, and this was, of course, in Holy Week, as we call it now, right before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. Uh, since we're on the topic of the Garden of Gethsemane, again, if you want to come with us next summer, we will go to <laughs> Jerusalem, and you will get to visit the Garden of Gethsemane. There's this cool little spot off to the side where we'll gather, we'll have a little worship service, we'll remember what happened there. So, um, well, Jesus is everywhere. I'm not sure if he'll show up in person, but that would be awesome. Okay. You heard it from Andy. There's a good chance that he will return while we're there. So you'll have front row seats to that. All right, a little more tricky. All right, you got to put your thinking hats on for this one. Traditionally, who were John's parents? Was it A, Zechariah and Elizabeth, B, Priscilla and Aquila, or C, Zebedee and Salome? 
Uh-huh. Well, I'll make it a little easier for you. We'll take away one. It was not Priscilla and Aquila. They were important. They were a Jewish couple, originally from Rome, uh, who were kicked out of Rome uh, by the emperor at the time, went to Corinth. Paul met them there. They became very instrumental in supporting Paul's missionary journeys, supporters of a house church, most likely. Uh, so it leaves us with A and C. How many hands for A, Elizabeth and Zechariah? All right, a few of you. How many of you for C, Zebedee and Salome? All right, now here's the trick question. It depends on which John we're talking about. Aha. Uh-huh. So theoretically, you both could be right, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth, parents of John the baptizer. Okay. Uh, Zebedee and Salome, not salami, that's what you have on your table for uh, worship on the lawn and Ravinia and things like that. Salome is not specifically named as John's mom, but she shows up later in the New Testament as one of the women, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and the others who were traveling with Jesus and the disciples were supporting them and were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus as well. So traditionally, uh, Salome has been associated with Zebedee. We know for no, no doubt about that. Zebedee was the, the father of James and John, uh, the disciples. And, uh, and so that's why C would be the correct answer specifically for John, the author of the letter we're looking at. All right, let's keep going. The last years of John's life were spent in what city? Was it A, Ephesus, B, Damascus, or C, Rome? Well, now you're like, he's really tricking us, right? Yeah, so uh, some are saying C, some are saying A. The correct answer is Ephesus. Okay, Damascus was important. Uh, Damascus was the destination Paul was on when in Acts Jesus appeared to him threw him off his horse, struck him blind, transformed his life, turned him into a, uh, uh, an evangelist and an apostle, uh, planting churches everywhere among the Gentiles. Rome, also very important. That was the epicenter of the world power at that time. It's where Paul eventually went, and according to church tradition, he died there by beheading. Actually, interestingly, you can go to the place where they say that he had his head uh, chopped off, and they say it bounced three times. We were there the other year. Uh, and there's a there's a like a altar for each of the three bounces. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, it's uh, it's an interesting place to visit. But um, Ephesus, uh, we will not be going to see next summer uh, because it is in western Turkey today. Uh, we were there a couple years ago. Uh, beautiful city was once a major world power, uh, especially because it was host to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, a temple uh, to the Greek goddess Artemis. And while they were there in that temple area, the people who were gathering for worship would make and use uh, statues of this goddess out of silver. And if you read through the book of Acts, Paul runs into that when he's planting a church there. And in fact, uh, Paul is taken into this massive amphitheater uh, where all the people are shouting, uh, great is uh, Artemis of Ephesus. Okay? For hours they did this until finally they kind of calmed down and the crowd dispersed because they realized they were about to have uh, an illegal trial of a Roman citizen in that place. Okay? So that's part of Paul's journey there. What we're told is that John had remained in Jerusalem for some time along with many of the early believers, but as persecution rose and as they got closer and closer to the year 70 AD when Rome finally went and leveled the city of Jerusalem, Sometime prior to that, John made his way north and west to the city of Ephesus, where he lived out the remainder of his life there and then just off the coast of 
uh, modern-day Turkey on the Isle of Patmos. Okay? Related to that, here's one final question. Traditionally, what torture did John suffer under the Roman emperor Domitian? Was it A, hanging by his feet, B, beatings with a mace, or C, boiling in oil? Uh-huh. Some of you are like, I don't like any of these options. Good news, he didn't die. Because we know he went to the Isle of Patmos, and according to church tradition, he died of old age, like up in his 90s or something like that. But the correct answer, according to tradition, is boiling in oil. All right. Good news, when you come with us to Israel next summer, you won't get boiled in oil, but you might eat a fish like this that was boiled in oil. <laughs> Do you remember that one, Sarah? Uh, this is, yeah, this is what's called, I think it was called the St. Peter's fish. Uh, and uh, we ate it at a restaurant just off of the Sea of Galilee. It's also called tilapia, right? Uh, with some great French fries and white wine. And if you're not into fish, you could eat big pieces of pita bread, good, right? Or falafel and fries that'll help keep you alive. I ran out of poetry by that point in this slide. So uh, just some examples of great food. We'd love to have you join us. But this is not a promo for our trip, although I am shamelessly promoting it. This is an introduction to 1 John. You've been reminded of or learned a few more things about the author John, what he's doing now late in his life from either Ephesus or Patmos, probably around the years 80 to 90 AD after the destruction of Jerusalem as the church has been scattered and he himself now also has been removed from his home country and his homeland. He wanted to write to all of the Christians out there in order to encourage and teach them uh, what he had learned himself from Jesus. So with that, then, we're ready to jump into our text. Now, Angela, you did a great job reading four verses that felt like almost for forever because it was a lot of complicated words and phrases. In fact, if you go to the original Greek, it's all one sentence. The ESV that she read a moment ago, two sentences. I'm going to go with the NLT because it's nine sentences and much easier to kind of work through slowly. All are legitimate translations of God's word. This is a little more natural sounding to our ears. So here's how John starts. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, who we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. What, what John wants to do is, is bring us together and, and remind us of the things that he himself saw and heard and touched with his own hands. He is one of the last remaining, at the time of this writing, last remaining eyewitnesses to the life and the ministry, and then especially the resurrected Jesus. Uh, Paul and the book of Acts tell us that there were hundreds who had the privilege of seeing with their own eyes the resurrected Jesus. John would have been one of them, and he says, what we saw and heard and did with Jesus, we want you to know without a shadow of a doubt what that was and how it is true. Now, what's interesting about John, I told you his sentence structure is a little complicated, hard to translate maybe or read uh, from Greek into English. What's also true about John, both in his gospel and in this letter, is on one level it's simple, and then on another level it's incredibly profound. So already in the first verse, we saw a moment ago a reference to Jesus, the Word of God, here the Word of life, kind of like John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You may remember those verses. Uh, what John is already hinting at here is the divinity of Christ and his eternity. 
a reference back to uh, prophecies like this from Habakkuk and Micah. Are you not from the beginning, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And in, Math, in Micah chapter 5, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are least from among the tribes of Judah, out of you shall come forth for me a ruler in Israel who is from the beginning. Right? These are Old Testament prophecies John is alluding to and saying, Now we find fulfilled in this one about whom he is writing, this word of life that is Jesus. So continuing in verse 2, this one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him and now we testify and proclaim to you. John is saying, all of this experience that I had walking with Jesus, I want to pass on to you so that you can hear from me and I witness what is true about Jesus and what you can grab a hold of, hold on to and carry with you as you walk with him too. This Jesus, he is the one who is eternal life. John says. I have to imagine as John was sitting there writing this down, he was thinking back to all the times he was with Jesus, and Jesus said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or, I am the resurrection and the life, after he had raised Lazarus, his dear friend, back from the dead. Uh, Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Right? Or maybe the moment recorded in John chapter 5 where he says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who has sent me, have eternal life. John heard this again and again, and he came to know it to be true, because Jesus went on to say, they then, those who hear my message, believe it, and put it into practice, they will never be condemned for their sins. Why? Because Jesus had said, God didn't send him into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So what that means, John wants us to remember is that we who know Jesus and walk with him have already passed from death into life. And so what that means is from the moment we come to faith in Jesus, the moment we're baptized and filled with his spirit, the moment that God gets a hold of us, he gives us in that moment eternity and everything that comes along with it, his grace, his forgiveness, his life. And and to be sure, in this world, it's still broken and still a mess. We still get cancer. We still get broken bones. We still get old. We still suffer because the world is broken, but we know that it doesn't hold us back from the forever that God has made and promised for us. And so even now, Jesus says, if you know Jesus, you're actually experiencing a first fruits of eternal life. And in the resurrection of Jesus, we see that confirmed. And then in the resurrection of Jesus, we see it promised for you as well. You will, like Jesus, be raised to life for forever. You have already passed out of the power of sin and death into life itself. And so John goes on to say back in 1 John chapter 1, he, this is Jesus, the word of life, life itself, he is with the Father and then revealed to us. And then in verse 3, we proclaim this to you, that what we ourselves have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. If we were to try to boil down the reason that John wrote this letter in the first place, we have two that we're going to find today in this first few, few verses. The first is this. He wanted to establish fellowship among all the early believers. Remember those who were scattered, suffering persecution, some losing their life. He wanted to say, hey, we are all walking with Jesus together wherever we may be. And that extends to you, my friends, too. And this fellowship that we have with one another is also fellowship with the Father himself, God our Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what he goes on to say in the rest of verse 3. Our fellowship This community that we enjoy is with God himself, the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And how do we experience that? 
John doesn't say it here, but it's clear elsewhere in Scripture. It's through the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends to fill the hearts and the minds and the lives of believers, uniting us as one. So then to close, verse 4. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. If there are two reasons for Paul to write this letter, the first to establish fellowship, the second to ensure we have fullness of joy. That is this rock-solid certainty that regardless of life's circumstances, even the curveballs of cancer or whatever may come, we can have confidence that God will never fail to provide and to supply all that we need, even abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. That's the joy that we have in Christ Jesus, the joy that fills us and overflows out into what we say and do. So friends, for the rest of the summer, that's what we're going to unpack and explore. This is just a first jumping off point into 1 John. Hopefully it piques your interest and curiosity, not just in fried fish and our trip to Israel next summer, but this summer, walking with Jesus through 1 John.